1: Bye. Bye. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. So this episode that you just started is a continuation of last week's episode. And so we just wanted to say really quickly before we get going, if you missed last week's episode, the first half of Teaching Poetry, you're going to want to listen to that one first. So hop over there first and then come back to this one. But if you're ready to rock and roll, we are not going to make you wait any longer I do have one more announcement, though. If you already know that you're like, I need more of this. I need more of this poetry in my life. I need the way that they are talking about it to happen for me. You're really going to want to head over to mudandeekteaching.org to get your hands on Amanda's poetry ebook, Poetry Instruction in the Secondary Classroom all of her poetry genius. Well, actually, I don't know if all of her poetry genius is in those pages because I don't know that anything can contain all of her poetry genius, but a very large portion of it is right there for you. If you want to get your hands on it, head to mudandinkteaching.org. Let's dive into the episode, shall we? It's really just like that if I have a game plan, they'll go with me. You know, like if I know, if I I don't have to know what the end of it, like I don't know what our analysis is going to be because I don't want to know what the analysis is going to be. Like something like a sonnet. Like I'm always going to know what like the the (laughs) – the end of the prologue to Romeo and Juliet like I, I pretty much I can tell you in one sentence the analysis or like whatever the message behind that is I don't want to necessarily know like I want to be able to do that exploration but I think where it gets intimidating is not having a game plan and something like your tactic this big six like strategy to just having a place it's kind of like our Our episode from last week, visualizing a unit. Like, you got to have somewhere to start to just start chipping away at whatever this big thing is. And so, if this poem is the big thing, whatever it is that we're trying to get out of it, some sort of an analysis, some sort of a message statement, okay, here are some steps to take to begin to form that. And it takes away a lot of the intimidation for not just the kids, but also for the instructor to just be able to say, hey, we've got a new poem. Let's try out our big six on it. Okay, guys, let's, you know, we've done this before. Here we go. Um, I love that that's like a, like you were saying, it's even a bonding moment too, but it's like a community sharing experience in just like digging in and like they get to hear how each other's brains work and they get to hear how their teacher's brain works and like see it modeled by an adult. Like it's really... Just like really loving all the things that you're saying today.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm really glad. I mean, it's something that I wish one of my English teachers would have done for me before I got to college. Like I didn't really fall in love with poetry until it was the college level. And I feel like it really for me in high school was this thing I dreaded because I wanted to get everything right in high school. I wanted to be correct. And that never happened for me in poetry. So it was therefore like not even part of my my canon, my own personal canon, I was didn't care. That
1: might be why I'm so comfortable with Shakespeare's, because there are some like pretty, I mean, I definitely like to like bust out of the box and like <laughs> go, yeah, well, this is what's like really widely believed so-and-so is saying in this monologue, but what if it's not, you know, and like break it yeah. open, but you have to be able to understand what's widely believed first. Like, I think I liked that decoding piece of yeah. Shakespeare's English, but like what you're saying is just being able to like have multiple right answers is so beautiful and scary and awesome and what we're really going for here. Brave new teaching. Hashtag brave new teaching.
0: <laughs> well, it does. It really starts with us. It starts with creating um, not only a classroom environment where it works, but in ourselves, like embracing these moments to do something a little bit difficult and that are a, a little bit unconventional. So we, we got to go for it for, for our kids and think about what they're going to miss out on if we don't, if we don't do it. We're in charge.
1: I don't want you guys, our listeners, to miss out on the last two tips that Amanda has for us. So first, we've got to embrace our vulnerability alongside, alongside our students. Then we've got teaching poems that we can live in that are like in our comfort zone. Okay, so whether it's like topic wise or you can just teach the narrative, whatever that means. And then three, teach it often. Teach it the same way. Find a strategy. Use Amanda's strategy of the big six, which she has for us. Check out the show notes or use a strategy that you are comfortable with as well. Amanda, number four?
0: So this comes right with what you were saying earlier is don't feel like you have to reserve like a three week chunk of time to teach a poetry unit. It is perfectly wonderful to embed poems into your larger units and thematically connect them to your essential questions, to your texts and, and let these poems live alongside the nonfiction, let them live alongside the fiction that you're reading. And all of a sudden this, this, this kind of intimidating conversation about a poem becomes, well, how does this poem speak to the scout? Or how does this poem speak to Holden's experience? And now we've got a whole nother way of playing with the poem, because now it's part of either an essential question, or it's part of a discussion that we're having about some characters in another book that we're reading. And that makes that experience even more exciting. Well, and it enriches the conversations,
1: like if it's something like a novel unit, like you were saying with to Kill a Mockingbird, like it enriches the conversation that you can be having within your classroom, because I mean... If you're like me and you've taught a certain novel so many times, there really are only so many ways that the conversation is probably going to go. Yeah, every now and then you get that kid that's just got like a left field idea that actually works. And you're like, wow, that's an idea I've never heard before. But like a lot of a lot of these... um, high school texts, like, that are in the canon that we're teaching, (laughs) uh, you're kind of going down the same path. But if you bring in something like poetry, and you can connect that, that brings in a whole nother, like, it opens up the door to richer conversations. So, like, I love that. And then I love also not having to have just a poetry unit, because that's where kids start to go, oh, poetry. It's like, no, it's okay. Yeah, you know, it can just be one or two within the umbrella of a bigger idea. It's so it's so much more interesting to teach that way, too. I think it's way I think it's more engaging for me because if I'm not engaged as the teacher, uh, yeah, the kids aren't going to be either.
0: Well, no, and I know you love to do a lot of like paired novels. It's like the same exact concept when we pair things together and we ask kids to connect the dots like that's a whole nother critical thinking step that we definitely need to make sure that we're doing as English teachers, as teachers, period, is creating moments for critical thinking that the kids weren't expecting. Absolutely. That's so huge. On those moments of
1: like connection that are a little bit more convoluted or even just like easy connections for them to make that then our students feel like they've made a win, like, oh, wow, something as hard and intimidating as poetry, and I've connected it to my novel, or I've connected it to like, another text or life. (sighs) I'm winning this English
0: game. Yeah, so here's like a really quick example. So um, I kind of made a list here of ways that you can embed it. So you don't have to read it, analyze it, discuss it, right? You can have a poem. And I've done a lesson before where I have just started the class by reading it, right? No pretense, no nothing. And I've said, which character wrote this poem? Oh, that's so cool. Right? So you can use it as this like creative tool. And then all of a sudden the lesson's actually an argument lesson and the kids have to write an argument defending which character's voice this sounds more like and why. And they've had
1: to employ all of these skills that they didn't even, you're so sneaky, all these skills that they didn't even know they were employing, such as they have to understand the words and the message and the voice within the poem and then connect it and then use their own understanding and textual evidence to back it up. Oh, my gosh.
0: Yeah. Well, then it's not this dreaded uh oh, poetry, blah. you know. Right. I've definitely been there for the blah moments. And surprising them with poetry is easier to do than with an entire novel because poetry is manageable. It's class period size. Yes. And that's what I love about it. And and I i te- I teach it. So on the writing side for argument, I've also had kids um, in my AP language class, which poetry is not really part of that curriculum either, but I would argue that most poems make an argument. They're they're telling you how the world is, according to that speaker. And you can make claims and agree, disagree with a lot of the things that the poem is saying. Um, and I think that that's a really powerful way to approach a quick lesson is, hey, this poet chose to use analogy and rhetorical questions to make this argument about blah, blah, blah. How did that work? How do you like it? Do you agree? Do you disagree? So don't feel like, again, that you have to reserve all this time to do a poetry unit. And then, I mean, you can, and that's awesome. I love doing poetry units. But having kids read, analyze, write, imitate, just go collect language. I mean, that's all part of the blending of the unit that's really fun and not overwhelming. Yeah, and it just keeps you on your toes, too. You get to just, like,
1: do different stuff.
0: Yeah, so much more totally. fun. We. We did um for of mice and men. Um, before we read of mice and men, this is another favorite we did, is we looked at a bunch of the Dorothea Lang photos from um Library of Congress. Con- okay. blah, 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 blah. Library of Congress, that, you know, big place, that giant library that oh, yeah. our nation has. That one. Yeah. Um, and she's got all those Great Depression, famous pictures from the Great Depression. And so I kind of had the kids do a silent I don't know. I think I kept them silent for a solid five minutes, which was a victory. That's just smart. And they <laughs> they looked at pictures. And I, I clicked through them on the screen and the kids were taking notes on imagery. So like they wrote down, like, what could they see? What did they imagine? They could have heard, um, tasted, smelled right throughout all of the pictures. They had a big, giant brainstorm list after five minutes. And then I taught them what persona poetry was. And I said, in a persona poem, you assume the persona of someone that's not you. And I think I gave them an example, but I might not have. I might have just said that. And then I think I said, I want you guys to try a persona poem and becoming one of the people from the pic- a picture that you just saw. So you're going to choose one of these 20 pictures. And I want you guys to write a poem as if you're that person experiencing life through the Great Depression. So it was really cool. The kids freaked out. I don't know how to do it. Oh my God. It was a total nightmare. Yep. And then once everyone calmed down, they wrote awesome stuff and they pulled from the pictures. They pulled language from each other. They pulled language from their lists and they all wrote something. And that's just the goal, right? Is to write something. And then the way I have them come back the next day to share is I ask everyone to share their best line. Just one line. And then we read them back to back. And it actually kind of creates like a class poem. That's so and cool. It's stunning. It's well
1: stunning
0: and, like, to and hear
1: it. What an excellent I mean, when you bring it back to like pedagogy or or I don't even or just um looking at like standards based curriculum, you are practicing inference. You are practicing word choice. You are you know what I mean? Like and it's ways to do this really cool, fun and creative stuff that sometimes I think we discount because we go, I don't have time for that. That's not going to fit on my standardized exam. Like there's no way that I can justify that to my admin or like whatever the reason is, which are all valid. Um, I'm not saying like BS your way around them, but there are ways that we are missing huge opportunities for legitimate growth and learning for our students. And it's the things that seem like, well, that's extra. No, I think that actually your students gained a lot of skill with inference with that one day. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. huge.
0: And and just the, the taking chances, I think, especially at the beginning of a unit, it was this, it was our first novel together. It also just kind of as a classroom community started to open up the doors for deeper and richer class discussions, which like you said, are all of those skills are part of discussion and the kind of climate that we want to embrace in a English classroom. Totally. Yeah. So I that's just it. two examples, but yeah, it's really not that bad and we will, Keep sharing ideas. So this brings us to to level level number five, <laughs> level which is level five because. We're going to talk about games. So we've leveled about up. Leveling up. Yes. We've leveled up to number five, which is, this one might be the I don't have time for it kind of one. Um, but definitely if you're looking for a reason to have a good time in your classroom, playing games with words, and I'm not, not even necessarily poetry, this is all about language. So you can definitely use language standards to back these up. But I love playing games with language. I remember when I was a freshman in college, my creative writing professor gave us all all these tiny little memo pads, like from the dollar store with the spiral bound top. And they were teeny. And he sent us out on campus and said, come back when half the book is full. And I said, well, what? Um, And we had to (laughs) fill our notebook with nouns and verbs that we, that were around us and that we could think that came to mind. And I just had to make ginormous, like I learned that listing is that every poet you'll ever meet has got a notebook somewhere on their phone or in real life of words, just a list of words, and just learning to love language and then putting it side by side and seeing what happens. So I'm not suggesting that you send your kids off to Here. fill a notebook full of words.
1: <laughs> underage but I'm also underage not students, please you
0: shouldn't
1: do that. <laughs> underage students, please take this notebook and go write down everything you see with other underage students. However,
0: <laughs> <laughs> then don't <talking> get in trouble. <laughs> I have, though, sent kids to, like, um, ch- during the week, I've said, I want you guys to go somewhere during the week with your notepad. And I want you guys to record the things you overhear and, like, the sights, the sounds, the smells of a particular place. So, like, um, it w- and that's really cool. And then the kids can create a poem out of that. Um, another game that I like to play I've done with um, teaching kids what an ode is, but this works for all different kinds of poems, is that I bring in paper bags and I fill them with things that the kids can touch, smell, taste, and describe textures. They kind of fill out a chart and they look at a dried apricot and they give me right like this thing looks like a blank 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 and the group works together to make a nice long list and then it smells like a blank 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 and then they kind of they they rotate the paper bags of surprise ingredients oh gosh, and random so around the room. it's great and and it's really it seems like this superfluous waste of time kind of lesson but when you watch kids try to describe what does a dried apricot look like i mean <laughs> with appropriate, appropriate language right, but they're they're totally they're totally accessing that language standard yeah. of trying to find the best words and and then they're saying no 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 that's inappropriate or you know no 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 it's not like that it's like this and they they're looking at nuance and i don't think a lot of other disciplines out there sorry math teachers uh, again um but we deal with nuance and a lot of times we gloss over it cuz we're so worried about quizzing you on that plot element from last night's reading well the big picture stuff and like <laughs> writing teaching writing
1: is one of the like, it's our white whale, right? Like it is hard. And when there isn't time to do it justice, like basically the structure of writing is really where I think a lot of us, and I might just be speaking for myself, run out of time. Like, okay, did you get that structure of the argument down? Great. And what we lose is word choice and style and just yep. their voice coming through and something as simple as taking the time to, what does that take you? Like 30 minutes? Like how long would that gain? maybe maybe, maybe. Thir- maybe 30 minutes have like an extended bell ringer and that's it. And then you get into your argumentative writing. Well, now you can challenge students because they've opened up that piece of their brain to use more words, like list five words that could be saying the word you're trying to say right there. And then you've got a better lead in for a quote, you know, like, it's, it uh-huh. sounds superfluous, but it is not. It is so, it, it just enriches everything that you do. And it's, it's hard to get back to that kind of stuff when you feel like things have to get cut away and cut away and cut away. But um, it's, and it's also just so much more fun.
0: it it is fun and the kids you can feel it when the kids need a break so kind of having a little arsenal of go to's sure. like I said don't have to take a whole class period that's definitely something to keep in the back Um, two other ones I'll share with you guys before we kind of wrap up here Um, another great activity I've used before is called the N plus seven and this is not an original creation of mine this is actually out of the Olympian poets they're a movement of poetry from kind of around like the surrealist times like the 20s and you know these guys We're like poetry doesn't have to be literal it should be like how we feel it and you know um which is you know i think a lot of that's coming back again in the 2020s um so n plus seven requires the use of something you might not have in your classroom it requires a a dictionary anyone i'm sorry what have a dictionary in their classroom i can ask alexa
1: (laughs) yeah oh i think i just set off alexa behind me that's funny
0: Okay. So to play N plus seven, you get a physical dictionary. You're going to circle then all of the nouns in the poem, either that you've written or you're studying as a class. So skip all the pronouns, skip all the proper nouns, but circle all the other ones. And then in the dictionary, look up the noun, then look for the noun that's seven nouns later and replace the the word, the original word with the one that's seven words later, to rewrite the poem. Oh my gosh, that's and so fun. It's so fun and it's so crazy. But then when the kids reread the new piece, they kind of go, well, because well, what happens, right, if, if you guys play with language enough, nouns are what create metaphor, And so when you replace the nouns, you're basically creating metaphor and some of them will not work. Like they'll be really dumb. (laughs) Um, And then cheeseburger unicorn. (laughs) And you're like, yeah, it doesn't work. (laughs) But a cheese, I can see a cheeseburger unicorn. My daughter, my three-year-old would be all in. Right. I mean, (laughs) so it's really cool. And then you tell the kids like, okay, now you have this new piece play with it keep what you like delete what you don't and now mess around and you've got this new thing to work with this new creation and so that's a really fun way to have kids work with language and then the final one I would offer to you guys is what I call cut and paste poetry is to take a poem cut it up line by line cut it up stanza by stanza however you want rearrange it and then talk about the differences right how does this poem change if we move this place here or move this thing here Um, what what is the effect of the organization conversation that just offers up another way for you guys to just talk about theme message turns shifts the speaker why was it originally the way it was is it better the way that you made it Um, and again they can do that with someone else's piece or with their own and have a discussion at the end about the changes and present them and all that good stuff that's really cool and it takes away a lot of the intimidation
1: on like language that is so cool Amanda, thank you so much for taking the time and just like really thinking through these five big ways to boost your confidence as a teacher teaching poetry. I know I appreciate it and I feel like I can very confidently speak for our friends who are out there in the world listening that they appreciate it as well. Like I can already tell you I've been taking notes as we've been talking about things that I can bring into my classroom like tomorrow. Um so that's just really cool. And before we close out completely, we are going to ask you all for your questions, your comments, your concerns, any sorts of things that you can add to this conversation, um, either leave them here in the comment section down below. If you are listening through our blog, you could do that there or, uh, Catch up with us on social media. All of our tags are linked in our show notes. And yeah, we can't wait to like keep this conversation going, especially if you have like poem suggestions. I feel like now that we've like got the ball rolling here, some suggestions of actual text are gonna be really, really good and just an awesome way to like keep it all going. And then Amanda, I do have one more question for you. And it's how we close out. Do every you episode. really? I really do. Yes, it is. I'm ready for it. I'm are ready you? for it. What are you obsessed with right now?
0: I am totally obsessed with my buddy, Kendra, her podcast, The Lazy Genius. I have to talk about Kendra. Um, She is actually a genius. And she says she's a lazy genius, but I think she's actually just a genius, period. If you guys have never... (laughs) No, not at all. Um, If you guys have never checked out the Lazy Genius podcast, you should. She is a lifestyle um, blogger and podcaster, and she talks a lot about the ways that you can manage your life and basically choose between what really matters to you and what doesn't. And her tagline is be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't so she's got everything from freezer meal hacks to routines which i love routine stuff oh my god um i love the idea of a morning routine and i love thinking about it more than actually having one um so she's got all kinds of good things like that lazy genius podcast i'll link her below and definitely go check her out miss marie what are you what are you obsessed
1: with right now uh you know what I'm obsessed with is I'm obsessed with going back to the books that I read as a kid and reading them aloud to my own kids and I know it's very like oh but like I'm just loving sharing those stories like right now my kids and I are uh probably two-thirds of the way through Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and it's a story that like has a special place in my heart for a lot of different reasons but it's like I'm finding the funny things that my you know six and three-year-old respectively are finding interesting and it's stuff that I didn't even notice. And so there's just something like breathing new life into older stories. Um, And it's like become a part of our nightly routine. Speaking of routines, we read a chapter and like, it sounds daunting, but like, it's really not that bad. Like, it's pretty short little chapters. And so I'm I'm obsessed with that little time that we're having together. That's really cool. Oh,
0: that's so sweet. You guys, Marie is so cute. Why don't you guys go to give us the review because marie is the best and she tells us the cutest things to be obsessed with and amanda just taught us how to teach poetry so like you
1: know teaching credential be gone we've now learned how to do it all so leave that in your itunes review huh guys
0: thanks thank you for (laughs) attending the university of amanda i was happy i was happy to have you
1: (laughs) you know what are you expecting like tuition out of this or we we should probably have that conversation later
0: another day. But no, I'm happy. I, I think the, it would be a reward enough to have more teachers teaching poetry. Totally, I think it would be a lot less terrifying if we all just kind of were happy about it together rather than begrudging.
1: I like it. <laughs> I, no one wants to be begrudging because that does not do anything good for students. Well, thank
0: you guys so much for tuning in.
1: We are excited to have you here and we cannot wait to talk to you again. Have a good one.
0: See you next Thursday.